You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Howdy, church. Great to be with you today, whether it's here in person, online at Cyprus or downtown or online at home. What a gift it is to get to be with y'all today. Boy, I woke up early this morning. I put some coffee in my Yeti. Boy, I pulled on them Sunday dress boots, went left lane, hammered down full tilt boogie to get to be here today. A lot of places I could be, but I'm gonna tell you what, there's not a place in the world I'd rather be than right here at Houston's First. What a gift it is to get to worship with you and to serve and to encourage you today. You know, Pastor Greg has been a friend for a long time. I say he's been a friend, he's been a mentor for a long time. When I was in high school, now, y'all, I just turned 37 last month, and so I don't want to make anybody, especially Pastor Greg, uncomfortable about his age. But when I was in high school, I would sneak into Breakaway. I would break into Breakaway to listen to him speak. I would do his Bible studies in, the, in my truck at lunch. And all these years later, what a gift it is not only to get to serve at his church alongside, but also to be able to call him friend. Just so thankful uh, to be with you today. Now, as we dive in today, the message is called Encouraging a Discouraged World. And if you're into taking notes, then I would encourage you to be, uh, that th- this would be exactly what we talk about as we unpack, how can we encourage those who are discouraged? Because when we look around, we see a lot of discouraged people, don't we? We see them at work. We see them at home. We see them at school. We know we see them on I-10. We see them all around. Boy, ain't nothing discourage you quicker than some Houston traffic. That's a straight shooting fact. But there are people that are discouraged for all kinds of reasons. We get discouraged about money discouraged about our future. We get discouraged about our past, about our present, about relationships, about work. We get discouraged about school. We get discouraged about whoever the president. Have you ever noticed there's always somebody that's not happy with who the president is? And we just get discouraged about it. We get discouraged about whatever a three-letter news network tells us to be discouraged about. We get discouraged about all kinds of things. Parenting. Anybody ever get discouraged with parenting? Come on, y'all. Now, that's, that's hard. I mean, when, when my wife, Teresa, and I, we have four kids now, uh, Harrison, Jane, Porter, and Jack, they're 10, 8, 4, and 2. Uh, but before we had kids, when we were just dating, we went on this date to the zoo, and we saw all these parents, and they thought they were being so, you know, they had this little cute little monkey backpack, and they're like, oh, don't you love your backpack? And isn't it so cute? It's all matching their outfit and stuff. And I'm like, look, man, I know you're trying to make your kid feel good about what you're doing right now, but really, you have a dog leash on that backpack, And when we saw those parents, I'm going to be honest with you, we judged them and we judged them hard. Like, how dare you put a dog leash on your kid? You think I'm stupid? I know what you're doing right there, right? And then a few years later, like, (laughs) when when it goes from theory to practice, all of a sudden, like my attitude changed a little bit. Like, uh, you know, like yesterday, for example, I was down in College Station uh, watching the once and future national champion fighting Texas Aggies uh, play uh, Sam Houston State. It's going to happen. We got to have faith. It's going to happen. We're there at the game. And, uh, and, and so I, I took my three kids, Harrison, uh, Jane, and Porter. It was us three, uh, them three, and me. And as we're going there, uh, and look, y'all can judge me if you want. I ain't got no shame in my game. All right. I, I bought some Apple AirTags. Like, you know, the things that you put like on your keys so that when you lose your keys, you can like hit the button and find them. Like I looped them to their belt loop of my kids. 
And they're like, as I'm syncing it up, like, it is illegal to track human beings with this. You know, and I'm like, yeah, but they're my humans. So you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and... Uh, boy, it can be discouraging, can it? And yet we as Christians, we, we are people of hope. We're people who say, listen, in the face of discouragement, there is a reason to have hope. And today I want to talk about ways that you and I can live out the command of Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 11, Paul writes and says this, speak encouraging words to one another to build up hope so that you'll all be in this together when no one left out and no one left behind. You see, when you encourage people, you give them hope. You know, I'm convinced that most people give up and quit on things, whether it's work or dreams or God, not because they're not capable of doing something, but because they get discouraged, because they lose hope. They think there's just no way that I can keep on going. And yet when we encourage one another, we give hope. We let people know that no matter where you come from, no matter where, what your story is, you have a place here. You have a seat at the table and that gives hope. And so I ask the question, how can we encourage people? How can we be encouragers? In fact, as I work with teams, uh, Kylan mentioned that I have a company called Two Words Character Development, and we work with athletic departments across the country from the Big 12 to the SEC, uh, from Crane, Texas to Clemson football and everywhere in between. Two A to national champions uh, get to work with athletes on character and leadership development. And the one thing that I tell athletes all the time is that if I could only give you one thing, if you would only do one thing for me, it would be this that you would be an elite encourager, that you would be known, that your teammates would know you as one who is a great encourager, that they would know you as one who sees the best in other people, who uses your words and your talent and your action to lift others up rather than to put others down. And you say, why? Why, Mac, if you could you are charged with one thing, why encouragement? Like the scriptures tell us, it builds hope. But what else it does is it gives people permission to see the best in themselves instead of the worst. It gives people permission to see who they can become, not just who they've been. And when it, when it changes the way that other people see themselves, you know what else it does? It changes the way that we see other people. Then instead of looking for the worst in them, we look for the best in them. Then instead of seeing what's wrong in them, we see what could be right about them. And when it changes the way we see other people, it changes the way we see ourselves. Because the encouragement has a way of, if I'm going to see the best in you, then it's going to tune my eye to begin to see the best even in me. And when it changes the way that we see other people and the way we see ourselves, it can change the way that we see God. You know, I've never met someone who's great at encouragement that's also, that's not great at receiving God's love like really receiving, not intellectually, but in here. Like every person that I know who is great as in, at encouragement is madly and deeply in love with Jesus and receives Jesus's mad deep love for them. But the people that I know that are terrible at encouraging, they're also terrible at receiving God's love. They get it up here, but they don't get it right here. So you see, encouragement matters. So today we're going to talk about five ways that we can encourage a discouraged 
world. And as we walk through this, I'm going to ask that you do something for me. I'm going to ask that not only you take notes, because a short pencil is better than a long memory. And so I want you to be able to take these things outside the four walls of church and put them into practice where you go. But I also want you to take notes because with each point, I'm going to ask a self-assessment question. And I'm going to ask that you grade yourself on a scale of one to five with each of these questions. And your score at the end of this will either be a five or a 25. You see that fight in Texas Aggie math right there? Just boom, thanks and gig them. <laughs> I majored in recreation parks, tourism science, run and play till seminary, rather play than study. That was our motto, so I'm kind of proud of my math. Anyway, that at the end of this, you'll have a score between five and 25. And as you walk away, you'll be able to see it. I'm going to invite you to look and go, you know, what ways am I really proud of myself? And then to see, you know, in what ways could I become a better encourager for those at work or in my family, at school, or in my community? So let's dive in. Five ways to encourage a discouraged world. Number one is this, the way I speak to people. That the way I speak to people really matters. Ephesians 4 and 29 Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, when I, growing up, when I heard this verse, and even now to this day, when I think about this verse, my mind settles on the first half of the verse. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Right? Like, did anybody's parents like kind of use this verse as the verse to go, this is why you, you, you ought not cuss. Right? Anybody? Anybody been there? Did anybody ever try to turn that verse back on their parents? No, no, you got smart. You understood. <laughs> You're like, hey, do as I say, not as I do sometimes. But anyway, uh, and so that, this is really where I always focus on just no unwholesome talk coming out of our mouth. But the second half of the verse offers not just what not to do, but it offers what to do that we would speak in a way that is helpful to build others up, that we speak to people's needs in ways that help them. That if we're going to encourage a discouraged world, then the words that we speak must be helpful, not hurtful. That means that we're going to have to ask questions and get to know people. Because how can I know what will be helpful to you if I don't know you? How can I know what will be helpful if I don't listen to you, we learn not from what we say, but from what we hear. And too often we try to help other people without first listening. And so to be one who encourages people with what we speak, that means that we have to be someone who is a great listener. That we would be someone who turns the focus of a conversation off of me, myself, and I, my three favorite people, and instead turns my attention and my presence and my energy towards another. That I would listen, that I would ask questions. One of the things that I encourage coaches to do with athletes at the end of a week or parents with their students or employers with their employees is to each week have a meaningful check-in to check in with those that are in your world and just see how they're doing. And to do that, I, I encourage them to ask three questions. You might want to write these down because they're three great questions that will spark conversation, that will allow you to listen better, that you might encourage better. The first question is this, what are you proud of this week? What did you do this week that you're proud of? Don't you know there are many, many people who don't know how to be proud of themselves? 
who think that somehow they can shame themselves into growth. And so they look at all that they did wrong and they cuss themselves out and they beat themselves up thinking that if I shame myself, somehow I'll make myself better. And they forget to be proud of themselves. You'll never shame yourself into growth. If growth is gonna come spiritually, at your work, in your school, it's gonna happen because you learn to be proud of yourself. So what are you proud of? What surprised you this week? What were you curious about? Too often we value people being right all the time and we devalue people asking questions and being curious. Oh, but something amazing happens when you get curious about something. Something amazing happens when you get curious about people and you just start to ask questions and you learn things about people. People be sitting there right next to you and you've known them for years and you learn, wait a minute, I thought your name was this. You have a different name? Oh yeah, this is just my nickname. It's not even my real name. Like what? I've been, I've, been, I've been calling you by this name for three years. You mean to tell me it's not even your real name? Like, nah, man, just a nickname. But you get curious, right? What surprised you? And the final question is, what did you learn this week that you want to apply next week? And the wording of that really matters because again, oftentimes people will say, what did I do wrong this week that I want to get right next week? But instead it's to say, no, it's not right, wrong, good, bad. But instead it's to say, no matter what happened this week, I can be a learner. So what did I learn that I want to apply next week? Just asking questions of people allows you to listen and get to know them, that you might speak encouragement to them, that you might use your words to encourage them. That when you do encourage people, let your encouragements be genuine, specific, and truthful. That a great encouragement whether it's a thank you note, like Pastor Greg in the, in the Roman series, Unashamed, uh, printed out like 10,000 cars for you to write handwritten thank you notes. Any, raise your hand if you've been writing them. Anybody? Okay, good, good, good. Hey, everybody else, hey, make sure you get your cards. This will be a great practice that you can go and encourage folks by handwriting them a note. But when you encourage them, you tell them things that are genuine, specific, and truthful. Right? This is how we can use our words that not only do you mean what you say, but it's beneficial that you're specific. Don't just be like, hey, you did a great job today. Okay, that's, that's like when mom says like, hey, you look good today, honey. Like, man, you gotta say that. You're my mom. Like, you can't, you can't not tell me that I'm handsome. You know what I mean? I'm like, but you know, and I know, and I know that you know that I'm really not. But you're my mom, so you gotta say it, right? No, let's be specific and let's be truthful in what we say. If you lead folks at work, just try it this week. Pick three people a day and give them a genuine, specific, and truthful encouragement and see how their body language changes. See how their work changes. Because when you begin to encourage people that way, you see them for who they are. Not just as a number, but you begin to see them like God sees them, right? As someone who has value and someone who has worth. That as we speak, we not only want to make sure that what we say is wholesome, but want to make sure that what we say is helpful. And we can do that by asking questions, listening, and encouraging with encouragements that are genuine, specific, and truthful. And so the first self-assessment question is this. Are your words helpful or hurtful? When you speak to people at home, at school, in your community, at work, do your words move people forward or do they pull them back? Doesn't mean you can't hold them accountable. Sometimes the kindest thing you can do for somebody is tell them the truth. But as Pastor Rick Warren likes to say, those with tact have less to retract. So choose your words carefully. Let them be words that are helpful, not hurtful. Number two, 
The second way that we can encourage people in a discouraged world is by the way that I see people. The way I see people. The first is how I speak to people. The second is how I see people. You know, we live in a world that is conditioned to see the worst in people. They're like, I'll feel better about me based on what I see wrong in you. And that's kind of messed up, isn't it? Like, we just like, I'm gonna walk around looking for what's wrong in people. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that? Like, aren't you glad that God just doesn't walk around and be like, hey, let me point out all the things that are wrong in you. I'm so thankful that God sees the best in me and who I can become through his grace, not what I've been by my own ignorance. You know, to make my point, I'll tell you two stories. One story from uh, the book of John, from the scriptures, and one from Starbucks. Um, <laughs> in, John, in John chapter 8, And I love this story so much because it, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of my mom. And my mom, she, she passed away almost one year ago to the day. Um, and then my dad, two months and five days later, um, passed away after her, married for 56 years. Um, and I preached both of their funerals. Um, this is the first time that I've preached since uh, that funeral. But as I think about my mom, she always saw the best in people. It didn't matter. It didn't matter who. It didn't matter what. Like you could like burn some biscuits and like they're just black as a hockey puck. And she'd be like, oh, this is a really interesting recipe. <laughs> like tell, tell me about this. Where did you get that? <laughs> she always saw the best. I had some heathen friends, boy. They were just, I mean, I wasn't, but they were. And, <laughs> and she always welcomed them into our home and she loved them. Those heathen friends are walking with Jesus and leading their families today. She always saw the best in people the way Jesus did. The way Jesus saw the best in this woman in John chapter 8. Uh, maybe you know the story. Jesus had been out doing his Jesus thing, loving the unlovables, healing the unhealables, hanging out with the unhangoutables, completely flipping the script on everything everyone knew about God and faith and religion. And, and, and one day he was in the temple teaching when the religious experts the Pharisees, they brought in this woman who was caught in adultery. And they drug her in straight from the home across town, drug her in and flung her in front of Jesus, right in front of the church. Can you imagine not only being caught in adultery, but being drugged and humiliated throughout the town, naked, chasing after these men as they hurl insults at you and then taken to church and thrown in front of the preacher. This dude says he's God, thrown right there. And they say, the Bible says we ought to stone this person. Jesus, what do you say? And they didn't care nothing about the woman. They didn't care anything about the scriptures. What they really cared about was getting rid of Jesus. And Jesus in this moment, when all of the eyes are there and they're looking, what is Jesus going to say? He, nobody would have stopped them if he would have said, throw the stone. Nobody would have stopped them. Yet in the face of that, Jesus did something different. He took a knee. And the Bible says he began to just draw in the dirt. The Bible doesn't tell us what he drew in the dirt. It just says that he drew in the dirt. And I can only imagine that as he was drawn, the, the Pharisees were, hey, Jesus, hey, we're talking to you. Hey, give us an answer. And he just kept drawing. And I don't know why, but I kind of can't help but think that maybe he was just waiting until every eye was on him and every eye was off of her. And then he looks up and says, let you without sin cast the first stone. And he begins to draw again. 
in the dirt. One by one, they file out until it's only Jesus and the woman who's caught in her worst moment. And he says, where are they? Does no one condemn you? And she says, no one. And he says, then neither do I. Now go and sin no more. He could have saw the worst in her. He could have saw all of her mistakes, but instead he saw who she could become and he loved her and he sent her out with a new purpose. I wonder, do you see the best in people like that? I was at Starbucks one day working on the, working on the computer with my little uh, Venti Pike black, like God made coffee and intended it to be. And I'm doing my thing and, and we're going through and, and I'm watching when I see this Range Rover pull up like right into the front, like the front row. And I mean, it was like one of those big body Range Rovers, right? And open, the door opens and out steps this woman, power suit. I mean, she got the bag, the glasses. She steps out of this and you're like, yo, that is somebody. Like you, sometimes you just know when somebody's somebody and like she stepped out and like, yo, she was somebody. She walks in and she orders her caramel, maca, maca, mocha, chino, frappa, whatever. It's like, man, you got to like really be somebody to order a drink like that, you know? And so she's sitting there waiting and the girl behind the, the counter, she was new, right? And, and kind of, she's figuring it's like first day or two. She's figuring out, you could tell she's nervous. Like this lady just radiated power, right? So she's like, I can't mess this up and trying to get it all. And she gets the drink, calls her name up. And as she goes to bring the drink, I think what happens is her foot gets caught like on the rubber behind and she kind of squeezes and the, and the coffee Frappuccino, mochaccino goes all over the power suit. And I see this happen in slow motion. You're like, no! And you're like, bro, I better call 911 because we about to, this kid is about to like, I'm gonna give pray some last rites or something because we're about to see a murder happen. And of course the girl behind the desk is terrified and she's just immediately into tears. And this woman with the power suit and the bag and the glasses, she looks at this girl, she goes, baby, baby, it's okay. It's just a suit. It's just, but I'm so sorry. She said, it's just coffee. You mean more to me than this stuff. It's okay. That she could have saw everything that was wrong with this girl. Her clumsiness, her ineptitude, her how dare you. Do you know how this suit costs more than you make in a year? But instead she saw the divine fingerprint of the woman across from her. That the same fingerprint that was on hers was on hers. I wonder, how do you see people at the grocery store, at the convenience store, at the Starbucks? How do you see, do you see the best in people? are the worst. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't know why this woman treated the Starbucks girl this way, but I know why we as Christians should. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, because of Christ, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We look on the inside. And what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. They're created new. The old is gone in a new life. Burdens, virgins. Do you see who people can be in Christ? Or do you see who they can't be? That's the self-assessment uh, question. Do you see the best in people or the worst in people? And if you want to be an encourager of the discouraged, then see the best in people, not just the worst. Third question Third way to encourage is this. First, the way I, I speak. 
Second is the way I see people. And third is the way that I serve people. The way that I serve people. When I give the best of me in service of the best of you, regardless of what's happening around me. I give the best of me for the best of you. That whatever my best talent is, I deploy it for you. Whatever my best gifts are, I deploy them in service of you. Whatever my best resources, my best time, my best presence, the best of what I have, I give in service of you. We live in a world that takes their best and exploits it for their own gain instead of deploys it for the gain of others. But let me tell you, in the upside down way of Jesus, you'll never lose helping other people win. Like you never lose picking up the cross and dying to self. I think about Paul in Philippians chapter two. As he leads into the Christ hymn, he says, therefore, let the same mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality of God with God to be something to be grasped or exploited, but instead he emptied himself. Though he was in the very nature God, he didn't use that and exploit it but instead he deployed it in service of others. You want to encourage a discouraged world. You want people to change the way they talk about Christians. You want people to see the true nature of church. Then go serve. You say, but Mac, I'm not, I'm not a minister. I can't stand up on stage and speak. I don't know enough scripture. I didn't say you had to win a Bible verse com- memorization com- competition. I said, just go serve somebody. When you're at the QT and you're in the, in the convenience store, take some time to know that person's name. You go there every day. You get the same Diet Coke and 44 ounces or whatever. You get it every day. Know their name. Ask them something about them. And you're at work. Don't just think about how can I climb up higher and higher and higher. So how can I serve other people and let them get higher? (laughs) That it's not about getting to the top of the pyramid where everybody else is underneath me. It's about inverting the pyramid and seeing how far I can get down so I can lift up and encourage more people. That's the way of Jesus. It's not a consolidation of power. It's a releasing of service. We would be bond servants of Christ. We encourage people when we serve them with our best, whatever our best is. And so the the question of of reflection, the self-assessment question is this. Do you give the best of yourself for others or for yourself? Like, do you give your best for me, myself, and I, I, and I reserve my very best for me? I give them like a little bit. I give them like the 80%. But for me, I get the special. Or you go, no, I'm going to give my very best for you, whatever that is, time, presence, attention, energy, resources, whatever I got, it's for you. How do you do? Number four, very quickly. So we can encourage a discord by the way that we speak to people, the way that we see people, the way that we serve people. All right, and, and, and watch out on this one. The fourth way is how we allow others to serve me. How we allow people to serve us. Now you go, wait a minute, Mac, what you talking about? You just told me I had to go serve people. Yes. But you know what happens if I refuse to let you serve me? Then I'm putting a limit, a roadblock on you doing what God has called you to do. 
Like if God has called you to come and encourage me and I don't receive that encouragement, like I'm blocking what God is doing in your life. Be like, hey, I have the gift of hospitality. Let me come and serve and set up and do this. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't do that for me. No, 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 no. Like I'm limiting your gifting. So like there's just this real practical sense of when we allow other people to serve us, we're allowing them to live out who God has created them to be. There's another reason that we need to do it because you and I, we can't give what we don't have. And if we spend all of our time pouring out and pouring out and pouring out and we never let someone else pour into us, then we're gonna end up empty like a truck with no gas and just on the side of the road. You ever been there? Yup, it's a bad place to be. And you realize that in driving a vehicle, you have to refuel. You have to refuel regularly. And if you don't, you'll end up on the side of the road. And it's not because you're broken. It's not because you're, it's because you need to be served just like you need to go and serve. For three and a half years, my family and I, we lived in a fifth wheel travel trailer. I mean, we just traveled with my, with my speaking schedule. It was so crazy. We just traveled full time and we'd go wherever we're speaking. It was, it was great. Drive the big F-350, Dually, what? <laughs> Four wheel drive, the Lariat with the AC and the heat. Got to keep the, I'm 292, y'all. I got to keep the big body cool in the Texas heat. And I'm not trying to brag or anything, but like I get like 12 miles to the gallon in that. Like, I don't want to like, you know, make anybody jealous. Uh, but do you realize how ridiculous it would be? Because I get 12 miles to the gallon, again, not bragging. But when I take my fifth wheel travel trailer and I hook it up, now this thing is 44 feet long, 21,000 pounds. This is a big rig, triple axle. When I hook that up, you know what happens to my miles per gallon? They go from a very impressive 12 miles to a gallon to a very depressing six miles to the gallon. <laughs> you know how ridiculous it would be if I went to the, the Ford dealership and said, hey, I need a new truck, man. This one's broken. And they said, really, Mr. Mackey, what's wrong with it? Well, when I drive it without a trailer, I get 12 miles to the gallon. But when I hook the trailer up, it goes down to six. This thing's broken. I need a new one. And I'm like, no, it's not broken. Like it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. But it's just got a heavier burden, a heavier load. And so you got to refuel more often. Well, I don't want to refuel. I shouldn't have to. I mean, I've been, I've been driving big rig trucks for years. I shouldn't have to refuel this often. I should be better than this. Like, man, you could feel like you ought to be better than this all you want. But if you don't refuel every 300 miles, then Jack, you're going to be on the side of the road having a bad day. And the same thing is true for me and you. That if we don't allow others to serve us, others to, to exercise their God-given gifts and abilities to refuel us, no matter how long we've been in the game, no matter how long we've been following after Jesus, no matter how many scriptures we know, no matter how much service we do, we're gonna run out of fuel and we'll end up on the side of the road. Like it or not. And so one of the ways we can encourage people is by letting them encourage and serve us because it gives them dignity. Like you mean like even I can play a role? Like, man, I, I, what if I didn't grow up in the church? What if I was an alcoholic? I can't say nothing to the pastor. How can I encourage the pastor? How can I go tell somebody else about Jesus when I'm barely figuring it out myself? Yes, hey man, God spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament. He can speak through you. <laughs> I, and I'm not calling you a donkey. I'm just telling you, like, it's just like, like God can use you. And that gives you dignity. That gives you a sense of pride. Like, wait a minute, I do have a place in God's family. You better believe it. And God's got a purpose for your life and he's gonna give you a power to live it out. And so let's not limit what God wants to do in somebody's life by not letting them serve us. All right, so by the way that I speak, the way that I see people, the way I serve people, the way I allow people to serve me. And then finally, 
by the way I point people to Jesus. That friends, the thing that we can offer that no one else can is the grace and love of the God of the universe. That as we receive our grace and as we receive that love, we can turn around and go and give it to others. But you know, we stop pointing people to Jesus when we receive that grace and that love and then we turn around and get real prideful and start telling people what they can and can't do. That when we receive grace and we receive love, we go, man, God really loves me. And for God to love you, all you have to do is this list of 17,000 things that I made, that I do, that I'm the excellent best at. (laughs) No, man, when I receive God's grace and God's love, when he reached down and transformed my life, I'm trying to go out and just be like, hey, man, God loves you. He's on your team. He's chasing after you and he's relentless. This dude spoke creation into being, name, place, numbered every single star in the sky. He knows you by name. He's on your team. He's for you. And I just want to point you to him. And sometimes we do that with our words. Sometimes we do that knowing scriptures, talking about faith. But other times, maybe more often, we do it with our values. We do it with the way that we speak to people the way we treat other people, with the way that we handle our money or handle our business. I've shared it before, but it's something that my mind comes back to again and again. That for many people, you will be the only Jesus they ever know and the only Bible they ever read. That by the way you live your life, day in and day out. And so I just might ask the question, Do your words and thoughts and actions point to a Jesus of the scriptures or the Jesus that looks a lot like what you're really great at? Like the self is, do I point people to Jesus in my words or actions? Do I point them toward Jesus or away? Like if somebody said, oh, hey, did you know that this person's a Christian? Did you know they go to Houston's First Baptist? Did you know they lead a Bible study? If, If somebody told them that, would they think of you like, Really? Or they go, yeah, that makes total sense. Like, I I don't know a lot about Jesus, but like what I think I know about Jesus, like that makes a lot of sense. And so as we think about how we can encourage a discouraged world, there'll be times where we do it with our words, the way that we speak to people. There'll be times in the way that we see people and how we see the best in them and not the worst in them. And so it changes how we treat them. There'll be other times it'll be in the way that we serve people others in the way that we allow people to serve us. By the way, the fourth self-assessment question is, do I allow people to serve me? How do I do with that? Another way would be just by how we point people to Jesus. And so as you look at your score and you kind of make that self-assessment from five to 25, how'd you do? Now, before you jump in there and be like, man, I was only a seven and my wife, she's a 12. Man, no. We ain't here to beat you up. What are you proud of? What did you do well? What surprised you? Did you think, like, without thinking about it, did you think that maybe you would have done better at one of these things? And now that you really kind of sit down and wrestle with it, you go, you know, I could really grow in this area. Okay, well, then what can you do this week based on that? But there'll be some of you here today 
They say, Mac, man, I, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I appreciate this word. And I wish I could go and encourage people with words and the way I see them and all of this. But I mean, I'm so discouraged right now. I'm so far down. That, man, I, I, I just don't think it's possible for me to encourage anyone. I just feel like I need to be encouraged. Can I tell you this morning that God loves you? He's on your team. He's chasing after you. And he's relentless. He's never going to give up on you. He's never going to leave you alone. He's never going to make you figure it out by yourself. He's in your corner. And maybe you're here today just so that you could receive the encouragement that you're not alone. Friends, if that's you, then in a moment we're going to have a time of response. And if you just need to be encouraged, if you just need somebody to pray for you, if you just need somebody that you can ask a question, we're going to have some pastors down here up front and the music's going to play. And I'm going to invite you to come down. Just say, hey, I need some encouragement. You don't have to say anything more than that if you don't want to. We'll encourage you and pray for you. You'll have contact cards where you can reach out and the church can serve you. But God wants to use his church to encourage you. Let's pray. Daddy, thank you so much for each and every one of my friends here today. Thank you that you know them, that you love them, that you have an incredible plan for their lives. And I pray that this week you would give them the strength to encourage and encourage well in the words that they say, the way that they see and treat others, the way that they serve and even allow others to serve them. God, I pray that this week they would be elite encouragers. And in so doing, they would point their friends and their coworkers, their family to you. God, I pray for the discouraged this morning. I pray that today they would receive your love. Where there's hurt, there'd be healing. Where there's doubt, you would give faith. Where there's uncertainty, you would give them the promise that you will never leave them or turn your back on them, but that you'll be with them always. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Give us the strength this week to encourage well, even as you encourage us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.